everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us. Got a busy show coming up for you today. Segment number one, David Benoit with FootballMarkets.com. They're launching on August 28th. They will change the way that you consume the NFL. We'll hear about the unique undertaking of FootballMarkets.com coming up in segment one with David Benoit. In segment two, Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports. He covers the NFL. Are we going to have replacement officials to start the NFL regular season? We'll talk that and other NFL news and notes with Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports. Then we've got John Aaron from the Sports Business Journal. He's the sports media reporter. We'll look back on the London Olympics. How did NBC do? How was the coverage? Is this the last time we'll see tape delay? We'll talk to John Aaron from the Sports Business Journal. After that, it's Sam Amick, our friend from SportsIllustrated.com. He covers the NBA. The Dwight Howard trade finally made. Dwight Howard to the Lakers. Will he remain in Los Angeles and sign a long-term contract? What does that do to the Lakers? What does it do to the landscape of the NBA? We'll talk to Sam Amick on today's show. And finally, Ryan Steelberg. He's the CEO of Brand Affinity Technologies. We'll talk to him about the most marketable athletes coming out of the London Games. Lots of good stuff coming up on the show today. I want to remind you to visit our website, sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow me on Twitter, at SB Radio. Coming up next... We've got David Benoit from footballmarkets.com. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. You make me feel so spring has sprung. And every time I see you grin, I'm such a happy individual. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is David Benoit. He is the vice president of marketing, sales, and business development for a fantastic new website that's getting set to launch here very, very shortly, footballmarkets.com. David, how are you? Brian, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. I'm really excited uh, to, to be a part of your show. Thank you for having me. So why don't we begin by telling the listeners how you and your partners came up with the idea for footballmarkets.com and what footballmarkets.com will bring to the marketplace. Gotcha, absolutely. Um, well, this honestly, this entire concept was started by my partner and very good friend, Rodrigo Quintanar. Um, he and I both attended the Duval Sport Business Management Graduate School Program at the University of Central Florida. Uh, back from uh, 2009 to 2011, um, while we were there, he came up with the concept of instead of you know doing points and drafting players like you do in traditional fantasy sports, you uh, came up with the idea of buying and selling shares of players using virtual money, um, much like you would do with the stock market. Now, there are a couple of other games that are out there that are like that, but the difference is that he came up with is the off-the-field aspect Um specifically highlighting the philanthropic endeavors of some of these athletes. Um, too often we get into wrapped up into the players on the field and when they're getting in trouble, you know, he came up with the idea of highlighting some things they do that are important to the community. Um, after he decided to bring myself in as well as our, our former director, Dr. Bill Sutton, um, once he got us involved, we then changed it to a, a more inclusive social media site um, where it's a social media site for pro football fans, you know, people who love watching pro football. You get the customized news and content of your favorite teams and players. You can socially interact and compete with your friends uh, in the trading room as well as the betting room. And then ultimately uh, get rewarded um, from brands that you typically love and trust. So it became an all-inclusive thing, and um, since then it's been very exciting, and we've pieced together some great things that we think a lot of our users and fans will really enjoy. Now, you talk about highlighting some of the good works in the community by some of the players. How will you do that? Great question. Um, so just off of face value, first and foremost, we're not, you know, we're not reporters. We're not trying to find information about people that isn't already out there. So by simply just data mining this information, um, we're pulling this information to our site. So, in, for example, if you know, one of your players is hosting a golf cha- a charity golf tournament. You'll know about it because you listed him as your favorite player. He's a player that you own shares of. Um, also, we're also building inroads partnerships with some organizations who are involved with some of the athletes. Um, and hopefully through that, uh, fans will be able to not only be aware of the causes of their players, but get directly involved by being part of their group, so to speak. Um, and if it's, you know, showing up at an event or, uh, making a small donation, they'll be able to do that directly from our site. Um, that way, the players and fans know that they're doing this together. Uh, so that is our goal. That is our hope. Um, and really, it's to get fans involved in knowing who their athlete is underneath, within the helmet, that they're more than just jocks who are out there killing their bodies. You know what I mean, so um, it takes a lot of work, but with some great programmers that we have on our team, we, we think we've got something really great that can get all that information together. David Benoit of footballmarkets.com is joining me here on Sports Business Radio. Uh, So, yeah, I like the approach because it sounds like if you own a player, then you're going to know everything there is to know about that player through footballmarkets.com. Correct. Exactly the point. Um, It's holistic, you know. 
what, what better way to, to really grab onto a fan than to emotionally connect them to him and him or her and his favorite athlete? I mean, um, so yeah, it's definitely all inclusive. How do you set prices for the players? Is it based solely on the on-field performance? Do you use any of the uh, community PR value points to value a player on footballmarkets.com? That's a great question. Um, so what we did is we took, um, we took the past three years' performances of these players, in-game performance, as well as their playoff performances and gathered all of their analysis, as well as projections for this year. We averaged that out, um, but not only that, we also took into consideration, you know, for example, their Twitter followers and their fans on Facebook, um, as well as their history in terms of off-the-field activities. So all of that goes into our pricing per share. Uh, so you very well may have a player who may not produce as much on the field, but because he happens to be with a great team that typically gets to the playoff as well as him personally, they do well interacting with their fans and social media and getting out in the community. Their value per share might be more than somebody who dominates on the field, but you know is on a, a bad team and doesn't really how to work. You know what I mean? Now I know you're getting set to launch, but I assume that you've already uh, priced your stocks. Can you give us any kind of a hint as to who the high price stocks might be? <laughs> You know, I, I don't want to spoil it, um, <laughs> but I understand. If you, had to, if you had to make me say, I will say that the usual suspects are the ones that are up top in terms of the elite quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you've got your Tom Brady's, your Aaron Rodgers, uh, your Drew Brees's. Um, there is, you know, actually Rob Gronkowski is averaged out in the top five in terms of value, um, and he's not even, you know, in terms of typical traditional fantasy sports, you think of running backs and quarterbacks. Barbarkowski is a tight end, but because of his appeal and some of the things that he likes to do uh, off the field, things of that nature, that's why he's up there and he's with a great team. Um, so not only can you buy and sell shares of players, but you can also buy and sell shares of teams. So, you know, some of the top teams in terms of value, you know, the Packers, Patriots, Saints, that type of thing. And once again, you know, to anyone listening, this is all virtual money. It's all fun. A great way for you to mess around with your friends. Really have a great time. But then the payoff, the reward, is you're going to establish partnerships with various companies and you can get points towards uh, getting things from those various companies. Uh, I guess talk about the, uh, if you are beating your friends, if you're uh, doing a good job buying your stocks, how, do you, how does it pay off for you? That's a great question, Brian. Um, so yeah, what we're planning on establishing is something we call the deals room. Um, it's a very unique way for fans or quote-unquote investors, that's what we call our users, to be re get rewarded for their social interaction. Uh, so as you mentioned, uh, we're in the process of building partnerships with a number of brands where they will be able to give discounts um, based on levels. Uh, it's a level-based system. You get discounts based on your performance. Uh, for example, if you're at level two, it would be maybe 10% off a purchase you know, for $50 at X company. But as you progress in terms of competition, you'll go up to level seven, and that 10% deal grows to 40% off. Um, so really it's incentivizing you to compete, communicate with your friends, um, and the reward being that you get access to these brands and at a, a higher discount the further along you go. Um, I'd probably say the most unique part of our deals in Brian is that it's not independent of every user. 
for example, your performance is based on everyone. So if you're doing well and your value is going up, you're sharing stories, you're commenting, you're you know placing bets in our deals room, um, but somebody else is doing more of that at a higher rate or doing a better job at it, their their level is going to be higher than yours. That can very well change. You know what I mean? You have the ability to control the level that you're at. Incentivizes you to really participate in the deals room. David Benoit, footballmarkets.com, is my guest. You can find Football Markets online at footballmarkets.com. They're getting ready to launch. Also, they're on Facebook, facebook.com backslash footballmarkets, and on Twitter, at footballmarkets. Again, I know a big part of this effort is getting the chatter going on your various platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, I think... As a team, we've done a great job doing that, uh, part of which, of course, is you know one being on your show, because I know you have a great following, great amount of listeners. Um, but I think we've done a lot of different things, whether it's sharing different content. We just released a YouTube video um, basically explaining what football markets is and why it's a great way to really connect with your friends around the country, um, as well as really getting people involved in the industry. Um, we've been in contact with a number of writers and bloggers who – uh, that we interact with, whether it's on Twitter, we plan on um, having some of their pieces on our site. Um, so we do a, we're doing a lot of different things. We're really excited. August 28th is the big day. Um, we're, we're, we're here working hard, but based off the feedback that we've got, we've heard from people, uh, they're very excited. Uh, they're, they're looking for something new. Uh, football markets will fill the gap of something that is holistic. You know, you can communicate with your friends, have fun, uh, compete and get rewarded for all that stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, nothing out there really does all of that all under one umbrella. Um, and ultimately, we think this will highlight the efforts of some of these great athletes, let you know that they're more than just a jack. You know what I mean? So uh, a lot of stuff's going on, uh, but we're really excited. Now, I love the holistic approach, and I think you guys are really on to something here. Uh, before I let you go, we have a lot of sports MBA students and people who want to work in the world of sports that are listening to this show. And, you know, you just talked about how you went to the uh, UCF sports MBA program. You know Dr. Sutton. And uh, maybe you can talk to some of the students. There's a lot of people out there going, hey, how can I break into sports? And, and I think you guys have really hit on something here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am a double lifer of UCF. I not only went there for graduate school, but I also attended uh, University of Central Florida for undergraduate school. Go Knights. Uh, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, in terms of getting in the sports industry, um, the sports industry is heavily predicated on hard work. One thing that I've learned having two, two degrees, a master's degree in sport management as well as an MBA, um, is none of that stuff matters when it, when it comes to working hard. You know, those graduate programs, what they're great for is laying down the foundation as well as giving you a great network in terms of people that you can connect with, mentors. At the end of the day, you just got to work hard. Um, don't be afraid to walk up to someone and have a conversation. The worst thing that can happen is they say that they don't want to talk to you. Um, last I checked, that's not the end of the world. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to have conversations with anyone and everyone you meet within the industry. Certainly, if you're listening, you can feel free to email me uh, at david at sportsmarkets.net. I'm always willing to communicate and talk with young guys trying to do well in the industry. Um, but, you know, my, I've been doing sports since I got into college in terms of a job. Um, I loved it. And even then, it wasn't the easiest to get where I'm at today. I've been fortunate enough to work with some great organizations such as the Yankees, 
uh, the Orlando Magic, uh, UCF Athletics Department, as well as Legends Marketing and Sales. Um, but none of that was just by my own doing. Um, there was a lot of help from different mentors and connections, but also I had to show them that at the end of the day, I knew what I was doing and I knew how to get the work done. So moral of the story, don't be afraid to talk to anyone and everyone that's in a, a room um, and just work hard. At the end of the day, that's what will stick out is if you can do the work. It's great advice. David Benoit of footballmarkets.com. Find them online at footballmarkets.com. They're on Twitter at footballmarkets. They're on Facebook at facebook.com backslash footballmarkets. The site launches on August 28th. You definitely need to check it out. David, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me, and I certainly look, we look forward to coming back. And uh, August 28th, uh, sign up, check us out, um, and shoot me an email if you have any questions at david at sportsmarkets.net. All right, thank you for having me, Brian. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right, you too. Take care. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. Let's talk some NFL here with one of my favorites, Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports. Jason, how are you? I'm fantastic. What's going on, Brian? Oh, not much. Just a beautiful day here in Portland, the kind of day that we wait all year for. So uh, we're happy around these parts. Little sunshine there on the, on the great Northwest. Exactly. I just got back from Arizona. I was in Arizona all last week, and we had a day where it was 122. So uh, this is uh, nothing <laughs> by comparison. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more pleasant. Oh, I don't know how I grew up in that heat. Hey, let's talk Andrew Luck. Um, I know that you spoke with him over the weekend. You saw his performance. Should we put a lot of stock into that and say this is the guy that we thought was the number one pick, or is that too much pressure to put on one game? Uh, 16 passes and 16 passes. I think the one thing you can say is from a preparation standpoint and a readiness standpoint to walk out on a field and direct the team, Yes. Is he going to be that great? You know, 142? I mean, come on, let's not, you know, those are absurd numbers. And the first play was absurd. You know, was, you know, you don't get 63-yard touchdowns off screen passes very often. Um, you know, they just they caught, they caught the Rams in an all-out blitz. 
the more important thing is he knew how to react against all, all out blitz on his very first play. That's what you need to take into account. Yeah, and he just seemed to be uh, in control of that offense. His, the the vibe he gave off was very. Uh, he had a lot of leadership out there. It looked like. Yeah, no. Look, this is a guy who is as prepared to play at that level as any human can be from a intellectual reaction, understanding of what you're trying to accomplish standpoint. That's why he was the number one pick. But look, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. I mean, you know, it's. Yeah, you, are you, do you have the right people around you? I mean, look, their offensive line is not very good. You know, they got Winston Justice at left tackle. They got Samson Satelli at center. That's not a great combination of, of guys to have in front of you. They don't have a deep threat uh, on the outside. The running back position is, yeah, uh, um, for lack of a better term, <laughs> if that's even a term. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to do there. You know, I think that the one thing you can say is they did not function very well last year, even even at their best moments. They're going to function better this year. Are they going to score enough points to win on a regular basis? Probably not. So, But they're going to function because the quarterback knows what he's doing. Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports is joining us. I read your story on Luck. I thought it was interesting. He's turned down marketing opportunities. We see RG3 and others out there making deals for marketing opportunities. Sounds like Luck said, no thanks, I'll deal with that later. Let me get acclimated to being a pro football player first. That is exactly what he did. That's what he told his uh, agent, uh, who also happens to be his uncle, and said, I'll deal with that later. I want to be good at football first. And I think that's a very mature approach. Uh, I, I don't blame somebody like RG3 for taking the money for going to commercial. But at the same time, you know, sometimes if you're a more subdued type of character, which is what luck is, I don't think he's an out there type of person. I think you want to wait a little bit uh, before you do these kinds of things and extend yourself too much. Other than luck, who has impressed you in the preseason thus far? Well, RG3 was really good. I mean, it was only seven passes or six or whatever it was, but I thought he looked good. He threw the ball great. Uh, well, last night was tragic. Um, uh, horrible. Yeah, that's that's not good. And, you know, seven. when you see the, the Patriots and the Saints play a 7-6 game, you're wondering, would they only play for five minutes? I mean, <laughs> so um, there wasn't a whole lot else out there that really struck me as – as fantastic. I thought Peyton Peyton was fine, but you know, he was fine. It wasn't you know, it wasn't like wow, this is fantastic. Uh did you you saw the game last night. The replacement officials, it looked like a few times they had a hard time determining where to mark the ball. It was like a comedy of errors from the officials. Well, they're not very good at it. And they're not used to the speed of the game and they're under a microscope. Then again, when was the last time you ever said that officials did a good job? That's true. Well, I guess maybe we appreciate the quote-unquote regular officials a little bit more now that they're not there. Well, I think we're putting them on a level just because these guys, we're expecting these guys to be, you know, keystone cops. And so whenever they are, you know, whenever they do the slightest thing wrong, they, they're they bad. And I'm not saying that they're great officials. I mean, but let's put this in perspective. There is no special skill um, that is required to be an NFL official. Okay, you can't. It's not about jumping high or running fast or you know throwing a ball. It's about you know how to make a call. And are you used to the conditions of an NFL game? These these guys or one woman are not. 
uh, ready for that. And it's going to take them some time, but they can get there. And that's the thing that the regular officials need to remember. They're not irreplaceable. they, They can find people to do that job. And frankly, six figures a year for a part time job. Pretty good deal. You were saying last time you were on the show that these officials, the regular officials, make between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars a year. Uh, I think yes, that's correct. The average salary, I think, is close to one hundred forty thousand dollars a year. That's a pretty good "quote unquote" part-time job, right? Because you're doing it five months of the year. You can go do something else the rest of the year. Uh, you don't even you're not even really doing it five months a year. You're doing it twenty weekends. You know, you have a couple of weeks. I mean, like it's not like you're sitting there officiating in the middle of the week. Yeah, this is truly a part-time job. Now, it's a high-pressure one, and you know, there's a lot goes with a lot of responsibility, and you have to be you have to be the best at what you're doing. There's no question about that. But it's still a part-time job. Most of these guys have other jobs somewhere else. So, um, leverage? No, not really. Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports joining us. He covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Cedric Benson to the Packers. I'm kind of intrigued by that signing. What do you think of it? No, it's okay. I mean, he's a backup. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they'll get through a few games with him until they get some people healthy. But, look, they're not sitting there winning. They're not winning a championship based on their ability to run run the ball. They won a championship two years ago with Starks in the backfield as a rookie. So, yeah, they can can make do. I mean, Cedric Benson's a competent running back. If he plays the entire year, he probably gets 1,200 yards because there are enough opportunities with that team with enough leads that he'll put up those kinds of numbers, but it's not because he's truly special. Have you ever seen a more under-the-radar defending champion from a huge market than the New York Giants thus far this offseason? This is Tebow Fest at its at its best, where Tebow is so big that he has erased a, um, a championship team. Like, they're not even on the radar in New York right now. I, I was I was in Albany a, a uh, was it like a week ago, and they're just laughing there at the fact that the Jets are getting so much attention, and they're able to just kind of squeak by on the under the radar. Then again, I mean, look, I think a lot of people look at it as a fluky championship team because they were nine and seven during the regular season. Fair or not, that's how they view them. That's just, it's bizarre to me. I did see a story today, though, where New York Giants players were complaining because I guess five of them have been injured in the last few weeks, and they're blaming it on the beds in their dormitory for training camp. Uh, well, I mean, what do you think that the state, the state of New York is providing for beds right now? <laughs> you know, if you're talking about public funding for what they've got, yeah, I can, I can see that as being a problem. What do you think of the whole uh, Chad Johnson mess? Is he going to hook on with another team, or is he done? Uh, probably another month or so. Like he knows how to play. And right, this is a time of year where everybody thinks, oh, we, that guy we drafted in the fifth round, he's going to be a star. And then you watch him for about three weeks, and you're like, get me somebody who can play. So it's going to take about a month. He's going to have to get past this whole incident. Um and probably get out of this marriage before anybody's going to touch him. Uh, then again, this was this was not anything close to a real marriage, so I'm not I'm not taking that thing seriously at all. Yeah, the Kardashians lasted longer than this one. <sighs> yeah, you know, a friend of mine had a great idea for a website. Instead of stop gay marriage, stop celebrity marriage, because nothing is a greater abomination 
of the the state of marriage than a celebrity marriage. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. I and my rule yesterday when I talked about this is I said if you're someone who's looking to marry someone, the rule of thumb is if that person has been on a reality TV show, you run as no. fast as you can the other way. No, yeah, you just go, go, get away. I mean, why would anyone marry someone from you? I mean, look, you know, Chad's responsible for what he did here. And she should have been, you know, she shouldn't be an idiot to to know that he's going to be like Mr. Faithful. I mean, he, you know, he's gone through more women. And yeah, I read it. I wrote his second book. I know this guy, you know, and he had at the time I was writing that book, he was going out with a woman who was a daughter of a royal family in Dubai. She had more money than God, okay? And, <laughs> and, you know, he screwed that one up, okay? So all of a sudden, Evelyn Lozado thinks, like, she's all that, that she's going to keep this guy under control? Be serious. I mean, really. Child, please. I mean, come on. <laughs> we got to save that child, please. Uh, Just a few more minutes with Jason Cole of Yahoo Sports. Always fun conversations with him. The Eagles are a little bit uh, banged up. Vic and Osingwa are hurt. What's their status? Have you heard? Uh, I haven't heard a lot um, other than what I'm reading coming out of those two different, you know, uh, out of that camp. Um, So I think they're going to be okay by the time the season starts. Vic is, you know, I mean – I think he's played one full season in his entire career, so this is pretty par for the course. Nomdi's usually pretty healthy. I think he'll be okay. Um, but Vic, you, know, you can expect he's going to miss two to four games, you know, on a, almost guaranteed. Right. Uh, it looks like Roger Goodell and Tom Benson are getting together sometime this week. What are they going to be talking about? How do we uh, extricate the league from this whole thing and settle it so that we can make the bounty scandal go away? and get everybody off of this because it's lasted way longer than the league ever expected it would. I mean, this is what, this is the problem. The league was hoping that they were going to get some cooperation from everybody involved, and this thing would come and go inside of two to four weeks. We're now on month, what, five, going on month six, and people are still talking about this. I mean, it's still in court. Uh, and, you know, Roger Kaplan's still got a – got a rule on it? I mean, this is ugly. Or is it Burbank? I can't remember if it's Kaplan or Burbank who's got a rule on it. But they're going to rule on it by the end of the month. This is an unhealthy thing for for what is an entertainment business. You don't want this kind of thing as being you know major news at a time where you're trying to kick off the season. Well, and imagine how many headlines this scandal would be getting if Tebow hadn't gone to the Jets. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'd be, fa- it'd be fantastic. I mean, but then again... I've dissected every time I write something about this, like I get this just rain of Saints fans who come down who think I'm just trying to crucify the team. And it's like, look, I don't care about what happens to the Saints. I like watching the Saints. I have nothing against the Saints, but I'm trying to write what's going on. Okay. So will you, you know, you just understand it's information. I'm just providing the news. We got you. Uh, when I was in Arizona last week for the family, I barbecued pizza. I, you know, I told you last time that that's I'm kind of into that now. Uh, give me yeah. something else that I should be trying. You're you're the chef, the best sports media chef in America. What else? Uh, even though you... I have yet to cook a meal for you, um, yeah, something I tried when I, you know, I was on the road for 19 straight days, so I haven't done a whole lot of cooking since I got home. Um, I'll give you two tips. If you don't know how to grill fish. 
and you're really bad at it, especially whitefish that flakes too much, just wrap it in tinfoil and put it on the grill. And usually, you know, if, if you poke some holes in it and you put some, you know, like some kind of wood hickory or, or mesquite on it, you can get a little flavor out of that. Um, but then it doesn't, you, you can't mess it up. Like you won't dry out the fish that way. That's one little tip. But the other thing that I ran into that I ate that I really thought was great is I went to Michael Simon's Burger Place in Cleveland, and they did these really thin-cut French fries, very crisp, really nice, with rosemary and sea salt on them. Oh, yeah. That that was fantastic. I'd never had the rosemary and sea salt combination, and that, that really worked. Now, I follow you on Twitter, at Jason Cole Yahoo. Why don't you tweet out pictures of that? Or I mean, I, I need to see that stuff when you're on the road. Uh, I guess I just, I find the people who send me, who send out tweets about the places they eat. And I, I just, I'm sort of bored by that. I don't know. I guess maybe I should tweet a little bit more about stuff like that, but. If there, if there's, I guess if there's a demand, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try a few of them. I, I sent out one. I ate at uh, this place, John's on Second, I think, or John's on Twelfth, in New York City one night, and everybody, I said something about how I had such a great meal, and everybody's like, "Oh, you probably got comped on the meal." It's like, no, I paid my own bill. Okay, I didn't get comped. And why do you have to think everything is just, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, great, great way of, you know pulling the wool over your eyes. I just happened to like the meal that I had at John's, okay? You know, so you, you run into that, and then you feel compelled to answer these people who are, you know, somehow saying that you're being a shill for somebody. I hear you. I just think with your uh, abilities as a chef, if we got some more tips on your Twitter feed, that'd be helpful. Well, okay, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm really nothing but a mere amateur, but uh, I have some amateur tips that can... can I'm, I'm certainly not in... Uh, I was re- I was reading about uh, Vincent Chavalier, I think was his name, the the old uh, character actor, and I just because they the I guess it was the uh, 30th anniversary of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Ah, oh. he was Mr. Vargas. He was Mr. Vargas. He was a great character actor. He was Mr. Vargas in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I was just kind of looking it up because I knew he died like four or five years ago. But what I also rediscovered is that he had written three cookbooks on Italian cooking. I thought that was a really cool thing. Last thing before I let you go, uh, Horshack died today from Welcome Back, Cotter, and I was doing a whole thing in hour one about TV of yesteryear was so much better than TV today. Now it's reality TV. It's crap I don't even understand. You know, Horshack was he, he was great, and Welcome Back, Cotter I thought was a good show. So uh, did you watch Welcome Back, Cotter? You know, we're going down a, a, a road here, Uh-oh. Brian, where we're <laughs> We're exposing an awful lot about just how old we are. Okay, that's I got so, nothing to hide. Well, I got nothing to hide either, since my, I've got a senior in high school who's about to head off to college, but um, not you know in a year, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, Welcome Back, Cotter was pretty good. But yeah, you know, there was a lot of really bad TV back then too, especially if you like really if you look at it again. Um. There's a lot of stuff that was crap, too. And I, I will say this. You know, nothing is as bad as reality TV um, because it is, of course, not reality TV. But, um, but you know, every once in a while, like, I, I rediscovered just how nauseating Dallas was by watching, like, five minutes of the new the new episode. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you get reminded of certain things like that. And 
some of the shtick on like Welcome Back Cotter wasn't all that good either. So, but but you know, it is our best memories of being you know like 12 to 15 or whatever it was when those shows were on, and uh, and thinking they were actually cool. Well, Jason Cole, I always appreciate your time talking football, cooking, and today we even got some uh, TV shows of yesteryear worked into the conversation. Follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Cole Yahoo. Jason, thanks for making the time. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Brian. Be good. Take care. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Let's go now to the phone lines. John Aaron from the Sports Business Journal, media reporter for them, joins us. John, how are you? Hey, Brian. I didn't need that intro, you know, Sugar Ray, Barkley, and, and now me. This is a... <laughs> Hey, you're a big hitter. You, you belong in that company. <laughs> so you went out to London for the beginning. I saw your, your tweets with pictures from the opening ceremonies. Being there in London, uh, give me your take on how London did hosting the games. You know, London is just uh, such a fabulous city to start with. And I, I thought what was unique about the games being in London is that London is just so big that the games didn't overtake it. You could still get the pockets of London where you wouldn't even realize that the games were there. And I, I think that was, you know, just a pretty cool way of experiencing the Olympics. Um, everybody was worried going in about transportation. Everybody's worried about security. And those, it, what ended up happening was in London, they really scared everybody about how bad the streets were going to be and how bad public transportation was going to be that all the Londoners pretty much took off. And the it was as uh, uncrowded a London as I've ever seen, which was a huge surprise. And it was a really it was actually really nice to be able to walk around, you know, the, the, the city without these like throngs of crowds that they typically do have. Yeah, I read stories of businesses, hotels, restaurants that had depended on big income this month from the Olympics, and they were really disappointed that uh, they didn't get those projected numbers. Yeah, cab drivers that that we took said that their business was down about twenty twenty five percent. Restaurants that we went into said they they weren't you know sold out you know, and, and their business wasn't nearly as brisk as as they were expecting. So yeah, the center of London wasn't doing nearly as well. Although this happens, I think at at most Olympics, and and you you do see 
a bump in over the next like two or three years where people want to get back and people want to do do stuff like that. John Aaron of the Sports Business Journal is joining us. Let's talk about NBC. Uh, Twitter was ablaze with people's perspective on NBC's coverage. NBC fail. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this was really the first Olympics that took place during the, the 140 character age. Do you think I read one of the pieces you wrote? I think it was this morning saying that you thought this would be the last Olympics that would be on tape delay. Do you think 2016 will be able to watch everything live? Yeah, when, when I said last Olympics, I wasn't counting Sochi. I think Sochi, will, there will still be some uh, tape delays there because there is sort of vestiges. But I, I think when it's in Rio, that's pretty much the U.S. Uh, t- time zone. So I, I think that, that there won't be the same sort of problems there. And I think that in 2020, that uh, by, by that time, who knows how we're going to be watching the games, if we're going to be watching it on our PDAs or on tablets. Or, or on the television. I, I think by that time, there will be no vestiges of it. I think what, what NBC has found is that, you know, Twitter was spoiling it for everybody, and Facebook was spoiling it for everybody, and it was live online, and pretty much it was very difficult to get through a day to re- uh, w- without realizing that, say, the American gymnasts won the gold. You know, I mean, you, you knew that earlier in the day. And still, the NBC ratings were so high so they they now believe that that actually helped the ratings. It certainly didn't hurt the ratings like they, they thought it would, but they thought it helped the ratings, especially once you knew that, that an American team was going to win. So it was almost like you know fans that would tune in just to see the coronation, and they think that that really did sort of goose the ratings a little bit. Maybe the most frustrating event for me that I couldn't watch live was that 100-yard dash. With The 100-yard dash, and if you went online to, to watch it and it buffered, you, you, I mean, it was only nine seconds long for good <laughs> Yeah, you missed the whole race in the nine seconds. <laughs> exactly, and I and I think that that's that's a that's a problem for NBC's brand. I mean, NBC, you, you think about ESPN's brand, and ESPN is they they will show it to you live. They they are there and they exist for sports fans and decisions that they and it's not always true. They want to make money too, but the decisions that they make are to to give sports fans content where they want it when they want it and. NBC now runs a risk of saying, well, we, you know, we are existing for our advertisers and we're existing for a business case. And, you know, they, they both realistically want to make money and, and are there for business. And, but, but as far, far as what uh, it looks to the public, what it looks like to the public, you know, that's a tough position for NBC to be in. So, John, what grade would you give if you had a report card? What grade would you give to NBC and their family of networks for their coverage of the London Games? You know, I, I the ratings were great. The ratings were much better than, than you would expect. I mean, if, if if this was solely based on the ratings, it would be an A. But I I do think that that it's an evolving process, and I think that uh, they've tr- they tried a ton of new things. I think that the the games that we saw this week or the the past couple of weeks compared to four years earlier in Beijing, we could see everything online, and, and we didn't have to get pirated sites to see it. You know, they uh, they had video on demand up the very next day, and you could watch that. I think that they took a lot of, of big strides, but I think that there, there were still enough tape delays 
that that really infuriated viewers. I mean, last night, for instance, they they, they tape delayed it and then they stopped it to throw a, a show in and then they they continued it afterwards. I mean, it was it, it was preposterous. Uh, it was a it was a, an impossible way to watch the uh, the, the closing ceremony. So, I, if if I were to give them a grade, I would probably give them you know a B, maybe a B minus. John Arend of the Sports Business Journal is joining us. He's a media reporter for them. Let's talk about the launch of the Pac-12 network. It launches on Wednesday. They don't have a deal with DirecTV or Dish. How difficult is it going to be for them to get a deal done with those distributors after they've launched a network? Well, it depends on on what they launch with. I think they're going to have enough live game content that it will – uh, create a little bit of fan interest, uh, and, and Directv will want to get that. I mean, one of Directv's uh, uh, marketing pitches is that is that they're there for the sports fans. If you're a, if you're an avid sports fan, you want to get Directv and you want to get Sunday Ticket, and they have every single channel that you can imagine. So, I find it difficult to believe that they will be. Uh, that they won't carry the at least the national network. All the other regional feeds, I can't see them having enough space really to to, to carry. Uh, Dish Network is another uh, is another horse. I I don't see them uh, really paying for for this content, and I I think that they have made a strategic decision not to pay for high price sports content. So I, I I don't see them going on Dish Network anytime soon. But I would be shocked if Directv doesn't have something done within you know the next month or so. We're seeing more and more conferences in collegiate sports launch their own networks. What do you think of that strategy? Um, I think that it's a, a, a very good strategy for uh, for conferences and for schools to control their their own rights. And you know, it's they, they need to get the rights to football games and basketball games in order to convince cable operators to carry them. But in a lot of cases, like if you take a look at the Big Ten Network, or you know, it's, it's hard for people to see the Longhorn Network, but but it is out there. It's for these sports that never see the light of day. It's for you know the volleyball or the baseball, and you generally don't see these types of sports on TV. And this is where it really helps out those those Olympic sports. How about the uh, reality TV shows? I was saying earlier in the show, uh, HBO put their money on the Miami Dolphins. Showtime put their money on the Miami Marlins. Definitely no shortage of compelling dramas and storylines with those two franchises so far. Yeah, that's great. It's crazy. The uh, the Ocho Cinco, although it goes by Chad Johnson now, I suppose, is uh, is you know the the ratings for the next Hard Knocks are going to be through the roof, I would imagine. And uh, I guess VH1 just announced just within the hour that they they had a reality show with Chad Johnson that was all set to go. It's already been cut. They've already done done all the filming, and they've put that on the shelf. So they've they, they've canceled that as well. It's um it, the the Hard Knocks. Uh, MLB had one uh, with, with the San Francisco Giants on Showtime. Uh, the uh, hard, hard Knocks also HBO also did it with it with the NHL. And I think the leagues are looking at this as a great way to market that themselves and to, get, to just let viewers get in behind the scenes. Before I let you go, Dwight Howard to the Lakers. I know the Lakers have a multi-billion-dollar deal with Time Warner Cable. You've got to think that if the Lakers can keep Dwight Howard there for the foreseeable future, uh, that's got to help that deal. That that's huge. It's similar with uh, Jeremy Lin going to Houston. You know that the, the the Houston rights just went to Comcast. So I I think when when these new deals, new TV deals take effect, I think that there's a lot of pressure to keep the teams performing at an above average uh, 
um, a talent level. And, and the Lakers, with Kobe getting old, and you know, they, they looked like they were sort of on the downside. So it'll be interesting to see if if they're able to, you know, be one of the uh, top teams in the NBA. But with Dwight Howard and, and Kobe on it, they'll certainly be one of the top draws uh, for, for the next year or two. John, before I let you go, how can people follow you on Twitter? Twitter, I am at Orand underscore SBJ, O-U-R-A-N-D underscore SBJ, and I try not to over-tweet, but uh, that doesn't always help. No, I enjoy you. I enjoy following you on Twitter a lot. You always have some great things to say, so uh, keep up the good work. Hey, thanks, Brian. Great to be on. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Yeah, you can be the greatest. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You can beat the world. You can beat the war. You can talk the guy go banging on his door. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Let's talk some NBA with our friend Sam Amick of Sports Illustrated. Sam, how are you? Brian, doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to join me. So uh, let's start with Team USA men's basketball. We know that Coach K is going to step down. No more Kobe Bryant. Who does this team turn to to coach the team going forward? Well, I mean... Doc Rivers of the Celtics has been the most popular name bandied about. Uh, I think he's a real possibility. You know, there's a, there was a Greg Popovich sentiment that uh, that may have some complications that I don't know all the details of on the relationship front as far as, you know, maybe quirky personalities flashing within the program. So, so I you know, the buzz on top was that maybe that wouldn't work. But then Doc himself uh, just yesterday – kind of inserted Doug Collins' name into hmm. the fray. And I don't know if that has any momentum, but certainly interesting, you know, considering Doug's involvement in the, the 72 games and the controversial the gold medal that got away and, and when you know, the United States was, was robbed in Munich. So those are uh, that's kind of the short list of, of the names that you end up hearing. Well, it seems like uh, the USA men's basketball team, when they win, you know, Collins has been a broadcaster for NBC. They all come pay homage to him after the game, too. So that would be an interesting choice if it was Doug Collins. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I agree. I'm fascinated, though, by kind of the, you know, the contrast between his persona with the stars and on the global stage, to me, is not entirely consistent with, you know, Doug Collins, NBA coach of the 76ers, where, you know, there's nothing all too negative, but you hear a lot about, I mean, he is an intense uh, an intense guy. That's not even the right way of putting it. He's 
he's about as, as kind of manic as they come. At least that's what you hear from the Philly side. So it's, it's kind of interesting in that regard. But, but I'm with you. It is, you know, the proof is in the pudding when you see guys like LeBron and Kobe come over and hug him and Darren Williams and Chris Paul and all of them. They obviously respect him a lot. You would think Durant is back. Do you think LeBron comes back for one more run, or do you think this is it for him? Well, I mean, his comments uh, after the game certainly, you know, left that in question. It seems like, you know, he's either on the fence or maybe he even kind of, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he knows already what, what he's thinking, but just wants to let some time pass. Uh, you know, he, he kind of, to me, makes it sound like he won't be back. And, you know, I could see, I mean, for one, there's just no way he knows where his head's going to be at, you know, I'd say in two and a half years. You, you kind of have to start preparing or three years. But, you know, I couldn't blame him if he felt like, you know, he had accomplished what he wanted to do when it came to the Olympic Games and to, uh, you know, save the mileage and, and just work out in the offseason. Like, to me, he's 20, is he 27 or 28 now? I think he's 28. Yeah, I think he's 28. I mean, not every, to me, not everybody has to be Mono Ginobili and do this five times and, uh, I think that's when the controversy comes into play, you know, with the, the, the format of the Olympic Games and, and how the teams in the NBA feel like they, they're a little bit too far out there as far as what they're sacrificing when, you know, if a guy like LeBron potentially would, you know, just every, every four years of his entire career take part in the Olympics. Do you think that this may have been the last time that we see NBA players represent Team USA in the Olympics? Do you think we go back to amateurs? No, I don't, and I'm mainly just leaning on the reporting of uh, my colleague Ian Thompson of SI had uh, broken the story like four or five days ago that it's not expected that a rules change will take place by the time 2016 rolls around in, uh, in Rio. But 2020, you know, as far off as it is, remains a possibility. There was a lot of pushback on that 23 and under idea from the players from you know, players not only on Team USA but internationally, you know, people basically telling David Stern, you know, hands off, this is not something that uh, that you should be trying to change and don't have the right to change. So who knows if he can gain some momentum. You know, there's definitely concern within the NBA for, you know, again, just the way things are run and some of the, the risks that are taken on the part of these NBA players who, you know, have 50, 60, 70, $80 million contracts that, uh, to get compromised to a certain extent, you know, when they play in the Olympics. The one guy who didn't play this time around because of injury that I could really see playing in uh, 2016 is Derek Rose. I think he sorely wanted to be there, but obviously coming off of his uh, knee surgery, wasn't able to be there. Is there anyone else that you look ahead to 2016 and say, you know what, I could see that guy being on the team? Well, I mean, Blake Griffin, you know, who, who was a late scratch because of his knee situation. You know, if he, it's a big, a big if because of his history, but if he is relatively healthy for the next four years and there's not, uh, you know, as many red flags as there have been in the last couple of years, that's a guy that I could see taking part. You know, Dwight Howard obviously did not play because he had back surgery. I, I, I don't know anything uh, information-wise on this front, but I would just personally be surprised to see him play four years from now because, you know, you got a back problem, you've got the size, and he's just, he's a big guy that is, at that stage in his career. I don't I don't know that uh, the cost benefit is there. Um, I'm drawing a blank on there was a, another very significant name that that was scratched from these games. Who am I leaving out, Brian? Lamarcus Aldridge. No. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> 
Oh. I'm leaving somebody out. There's there's another star. Because somebody tweeted the other night that, you know, this is this is when you know that CBMSA is, is back to being a healthy program because they lost three legitimate stars. Well, Dwayne Wade was, was lost. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking of. You know, Dwayne, obviously, has got miles on him, and so I don't see him coming back four years from now. So, you know, we'll see. I think when that time comes closer, what you'll see is clarity in terms of who may or may not be playing. And then, you know, if the if the talent tool is just not deep enough, I think then you'll start to feel the pressure being applied to those guys, maybe like LeBron, who will maybe on the fence, because they can say whatever they want right now. If it looks like they are endangering the gold medal that is now back to being, you know, the standard, then, you know, you better believe there's going to be pressure for them to play. Sam Amick of Sports Illustrated is joining me. Sam, I was out last week and, and returned over the weekend uh, back to Internet access and TV and everything and saw that uh, Dwight Howard had finally been traded to the Lakers. And I look at this offseason and I go, wow, you know, the Lakers, it, just when you think they're dead or they're starting on the decline, they – are able to go out and make deals, and they go out and get Steve Nash this offseason, and now they bring in Dwight Howard. There's been no one that has helped their team, in my opinion, more than the Lakers have this offseason. What an incredible renaissance for the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, incredible, pretty much hits it on the head. You know, surprising, pretty astounding, if you really think about it, considering a couple of things. For one, the collective bargaining agreement that you and I have talked about, you know, ad nauseum, and the fact that in this new climate, sort of move was supposed to be more challenging, if not impossible, especially on the heels of getting a guy like Steve Nash. But for now, the Lakers, uh, they're, they're kind of alone on the cliff in terms of, well, and Brooklyn's out there too, as far as being teams that are, you know, in a staring contest with this new luxury tax. You know, it's going to kick in after next season. And, uh, and again, we've, we've gone over it, but it's just, you're in gen, you know, put general terms on it. You're talking about, three times the penalties, you know, on average of the previous luxury tax. And so a team like the Lakers, which is now on course to have, you know, in a couple of years in the neighborhood of a, you know, $126 million, uh, not a, not a payroll, but a, a, a bill, so to speak. Um, I don't know how they can keep that up, but they don't care right now. They want to win a title. If they need to amnesty Pau Gasol next year or do something else to shed salary, they'll do it. But right now, they're going for broke, and, you know, it'll be fun to watch. Well, I think one of the ways they can do it is their multi-billion dollar TV deal with Time Warner Cable. So you go out, it's the same thing that the Angels did with Albert Pujols. They spent 250 on Pujols, but they're able to get incredible rights fees for their TV deal. It's the same thing the Lakers are going to do. I mean, I read something the other day where the Lakers are going to, you know, they're going to net with their TV deal and everything else, 150 to $170 million a year. And that's if they sign Howard to an extension. So even after they're paying that luxury tax because of their TV deal, they're still going to come out ahead. Yeah, without question. And I mean, that is, you know, that's where they weren't able to level the playing field you know, as as much as they wanted to, they being some of the mid and small market owners in the NBA uh, during the lockout. And and you're dead on because I mean, I covered the uh, in the course of the Sacramento relocation situation, the Lakers TV deal became very relevant because they were looking at moving to Anaheim. And in doing that, uh, you know, I was able to uncover the fact that even though the TV contract had been widely reported 
as a $3 billion deal, you know, it's actually potentially with options a $5 billion TV contract Jeez. over the course of, I think it's... Uh, it's 20 years. years. It's 20 years. Well, I think it's got the options. I think I'd tw- I think if you go to 25, that's when it becomes $5 billion. Wow. So, you know, that's, yeah. And so, again, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's, it's uh, money hand over fist, even if they do, you know, keep staring this luxury tax in the face. So I said earlier in the show, I think there's only three teams that have any chance of winning an NBA championship this upcoming season and probably even the next season. And it's the Lakers, it's Oklahoma City, and it's the Miami Heat. I think everyone else is just spinning their tires. And to me, you know, you look at the NFL and the parody of the NFL where Green Bay, a small market, can win a championship as well as the New York Giants in a big market. That's where the NBA has really fallen short with this new deal is there's three or four teams that have a chance every year to win, and everyone else is just playing for second place. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and I feel for small market fans, mid-market fans, you know, the Portland, the Sacramento, Memphis, New Orleans, going down the list. I mean, you're right, and, and maybe, again, maybe, I don't know, maybe it'll change. Maybe the Lakers, because listen, the last year and a half, two years, the buzz around the league was that, the Lakers were finally becoming cost conscious. They were, they did, you know, Lamar Odom trade to Dallas was a salary dump, or so we thought. Uh, you know, that trade exception wound up being used in the Steve Nash deal, so that wasn't true. But, you know, I don't know. If that doesn't happen, if this is the course that they continue on, then to me, the, the Lakers are intriguing in a vacuum this year. But, you know, beyond that, I would say you can't get to the end of this CBA quickly enough because I think more changes would need to be made. If you're Dwight Howard, and we know he's Sybil, he has a hard time making up his mind, he, he's got back issues. Don't you sign an extension sooner than later? Because worst-case scenario for him is he comes back this year, and, and he's got more back issues, and now next summer people are really uh, leery of signing him to anything long-term. Why wouldn't you just take that extension in L.A. with the Lakers now? Well, I mean, he's been on this, you know, this this course to test free agency. It obviously got delayed by his own doing when he opted in for this year during, you know, the, the moment of indecision you're talking about. Uh, you know, in theory, I agree with you. I would say, you know, even if you're not going to do the extension, uh, you got to at least, I think, take the Lakers deal next summer, which will have an extra year on it than any other deal. Because I do think he's getting to that point in his career. The combination of the back, uh, this, again, the fact that he's a big guy, you know, who depends on his athleticism so much. Uh, I think you're you're into that territory of, you know, you never know in that fifth year uh, what's going to be going on with you. So, uh, you know, beyond that, I don't know. He, you know, it, it, it takes a special – I don't say this – I'm not really trying to be – you know, I, I'm critical of the way he's been, but this isn't meant to be disparaging. But it takes a special personality to – go into Lakerland and just kind of be mildly happy to be there and basically tell them, you know, well, we'll see next summer. I mean, that's, you don't see that a lot. I mean, if the Lakers embrace you during, you know, an, uh, an uptime, you know, not during a Swish Parker era or something like that, it's not too often that you see anybody do what he's doing. But for now, that that is the case. I think he's worried about, just my opinion, but uh, Kobe Bryant's personality, do they mesh together? Uh, my my quote unquote brand and what happens to it in LA? Can I achieve what I want to achieve off the court? All of those things that fans wish didn't necessarily come into play probably are.
Just a few minutes left with Sam Amick of Sports Illustrated. He does a great job covering the NBA for them. Why would Orlando make this deal? When I saw the terms of the deal, it seems to me that they could have struck better deals for them earlier on than this deal. Uh, that, you know, is, is something I've been looking into quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I'm actually going to probably later in the day tomorrow have a piece on that. They, you know, they there's a lot of layers to it. But, you know, to give you the short version, they valued Aaron Aflalo in ways that, you know, a lot of teams probably don't to the, the degree they, they do. They look at him. He's the Denver guard that came their way in the deal. He's got four years and $30 million left on his contract. And, you know, he, they see him as a major piece of their future. The same goes for Mo Harkless, a small forward from St. John's. He got drafted 15th by Philadelphia. Came their way in the deal. They think he's their small forward of the future. So even though these are not household names and, uh, you know, far from stars or even above average, you know, names. These are guys that the Magic, you know, identified as as valuable pieces for their future. Um, beyond that, you know, there's they were talking to Houston, and there was a lot of scenarios in play. Uh, the the picks offered by Houston were better picks by definition, but not always as plentiful. Most of the scenarios they talked about had two first rounders as opposed to three. So there was, you know, there was a lot of factors. There was just basically, you know, some of the guys that Houston was willing to take back as salary savings were actually guys that the Magic thought, they like Glenn Davis, that's the guy they actually like. And a lot of people would disagree, but they think he's part of what they want to do. So a lot went into it, but the shorter answer is they, they wanted to clear the deck and, and uh, get to a place where they could build the team the way they wanted to build it as opposed to inheriting a package that they weren't satisfied with. You mentioned earlier in the interview that Doug Collins has a, a manic-type personality. There were reports that he and Andre Iguodala clashed at times. Uh, we know Andrew Bynum can sometimes go astray. How do you think Bynum works out in Philadelphia? Um, I think he'll be fine. I think you're going to have those moments. I think, you know, you definitely, between the two of those personalities, and I'm from a distance or not from a distance, but, you know, just kind of spending a fair amount of time in the Laker locker room this year and being around Andrew and talking to him a decent amount. I, you know, he's, he's, he's a, a, you know, he's a, a unique guy. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to say that diplomatically. He's, you know, he's a complicated personality who I think is probably going to give Doug Fitz out a lot of times. But um, he's, you know, wildly talented, and he's at that place where, you know, he's uh, primed to take the next step. So I think the talent will win out over – you know, the different personality uh, complexities, but, uh, you know, we might have fireworks every once in a while. Last question for you. I'm out here in Portland, and uh, what do you think of Terry Stotts being hired as the head coach of the Blazers last week? I'm not sure. I think, uh, you know, he's a respected name, uh, incredibly nice guy, and, you know, we're probably all too guilty of, you know, of two things. You know, we criticize teams like Orlando when they hire Jacques Vaughn as a coach because he's too young and hasn't done it, you know, and then we criticize teams that, that get guys that are labeled as recycled, you know, which is fair or not, you know, Terry's been a head coach before, and, and so that was, some of the instant reaction was, you know, why are they going back that well, but um, what I do like about it, aside from, you know, again, Terry having a lot of respect is an important thing, and LaMarcus Aldridge has said a, a bunch of very nice things about him after the hiring, is the fact that you know, I'm just fine hiring guys who come from winning environments, and that's 
where Terry's coming from, you know, Dallas and, and Rick Carlisle is one of the best in the game. And so, uh, you know, Terry already had plenty of, you know, experience of his own, but, you know, sitting side by side with Rick like he has recently, uh, you know, can't hurt either. So we'll see how it goes. Would you agree with me that this is Terry Stotts' last opportunity as a head coach? I talked earlier in the show. I'd compare him to a guy like P.J. Carlissimo, a good coordinator, but I don't know if he's a good head coach. And if he fails at this stop, I think he's going to be a career coordinator and he won't get another chance to be a head coach. Yeah, that's probably the case. You know, I mean, funny story, I uh, I don't know that I'd ever met Terry before until uh, Las Vegas Summer League just last month. And I met him with another reporter, and we were sitting there chatting. And again, you know, just his whole vibe comes off as so friendly and genuine. And so he was, uh, he was very nice. And but it was funny because the the other reporter was uh, Gary Wolfel, who covers the Bucks in Milwaukee. He knows Terry, and he said something to him like, you know, what do you think? You you know, you maybe have another shot in you. And he wasn't talking specifically about Portland. Well, admittedly, when he asked him that, I'm thinking in the back of my head. You know, okay, you're saying that to be nice, but, you know, you know, I thought Terry wasn't going to get another shot, period. So, you know, I'm with you on that. I, I was surprised, uh, but not against the hiring. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Sam, before I let you go, how can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, at Sam underscore Amick. Thank you so much for taking the time. Always great to catch up. Almost 20 minutes of NBA gold and knowledge from you, so I always appreciate it. <laughs> No problem, Thanks, man. Thanks, Sam. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thank Thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Right now, joining me on the phone, Ryan Steelberg. He's the co-founder and CEO of Brand Affinity Technologies. He was recently listed in Sports Business Journal's 40 Under 40 as one of the best and brightest young executives in sports business. He's also been recognized by Fortune Magazine as an innovator in the advertising space. Ryan, thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem. So why don't you start by telling us about Brand Affinity Technologies and how you connect brands to athletes? Simply put, we created a a platform where we felt that the industry was underserving any of the the celebrities and athletes that were not, you know, they weren't the top 50 biggest stars. We felt that with all the different opportunities with social media and online advertising, we felt that there were hundreds, if not thousands, 
of very marketable stars that had large following bases that just weren't getting exposure to marketers and advertisers that, frankly, could do very well with advertising audiences. So Brand Affinity simply is a, a network of about 4,000-plus athletes and celebrities where we use interesting research and, and different forms of technologies to introduce now that very large pool of celebrities. You know, that, that it, basically, if you're a starter on the field, we think that you should be having deals, and we make that very easy and cost-effective to introduce that large body of now celebrity pool to marketers and advertisers. Ryan, we've seen the off-the-field missteps of Mike Vick, of Kobe Bryant, uh, of Tiger Woods, and companies invested a lot in those athletes. Have companies shied away from utilizing athletes in their marketing campaigns because they fear that those athletes might get in trouble off the field and crash the campaign? We haven't seen any pullback really at all in aggregate. Um, Obviously, there's the exceptions. And, and obviously, big branded advertisers have to evaluate that risk. But the reality is, in, in the new world we live in, particularly with social media, where literally every, anybody can communicate to their fans directly, there, the, 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 the influencers, these prominent influencers, have so much control and so much ability to move the mindset of their audiences that, frankly, advertisers don't have a, don't have a choice when there's so much clutter of advertising. You know, thousands and thousands of traditional broadcast channels thousands and millions of online channels now. And frankly, sometimes the only way to get cut, cut through that clutter is to partner with a celebrity or an athlete to cut through and make that connection with, with the advertisers. So we've seen, obviously, you know, an increase in overall spend and engagement with, with celebrity endorsers, whether those are coaches, athletes, or celebrities. And we don't think that's going to change the, for the foreseeable future. Ryan Steelberg is the co-founder and CEO of Brand Affinity Technologies. He's joining me right now. Uh, the Olympics just completed. Who, in your opinion, are the most marketable athletes coming out of the London Games? Well, I think you need to look at uh, the, who's going to be around and who's going to still have media exposure supporting their brand you know, going forward. Um, you know, this reminds me a little bit of, you know, Jeannie Finch in the past, who's, you know, we've done some business with, where there was this appeal for her post-career opportunity, as, you, know, you know, transitioning from, you know, a, a obviously a beautiful, very successful and a very athletic softball player to having a, a post, a career as then a mom and a wife and, and, and parlaying that into consumer-branded goods. And so you really need to say is who's a one-hit wonder? Who's, yes, they had a big showing in the Olympics, but are they going to be out of the press, out of the media for a long time? So there's really two different classifications for people that I find interesting. Obviously, if you look at Misty May and Kerry Walsh, you know, going on, you know, a multi-gold medal, you know, barrage here over the last 12 years, that, you know, and then they're transitioning to being very successful, powerful, confident women those are kind of the ones that kind of pop in my mind that could be do very well of helping moving brands, working with consumer product, you know, packaged goods, and, you know, catalogs and group like that, and moving it forward. Um, obviously, there's going to be the young superstars, the Gabbies of the world, who have prospects of going back to the Olympics, where, it, you know, outside of the Olympics, you know, gymnastics is a challenge. You know, we all can, can you know, depending on how old you are. You know, there was the breakthrough people like Mary Loretton, you know, with behind the huge marketing engine of the 84 Olympics. So you have to figure out is, you know, yes, they're big and they got great exposure to the Olympics, but do they have life beyond the Olympics? Does their sport afford them media exposure that may, you know, that may not, you know, exist outside of, of an Olympic or World Cup form? 
So again, I'm, I'm bullish on the Misty Mays of the world and Kerry Walsh's, where they're you know they're from Southern California. They have big media exposures. They, you know they have opportunities post career. Uh, Gabby, since she has a chance to go back to the Olympics because of her age, I'm going to keep us you know, keep an eye on her. And then obviously the superstar. I can't believe I'm forgetting her name right now. But uh, the swimmer, the 17 year old, Missy uh, Franklin. Missy Franklin. I mean, she is you know this you know that she's got an 800 megawatt smile. She um, obviously is young. She, you know, even before the game started, she released her own music video on YouTube and kind of led that equation. She's got all the parts. She's beautiful. She's, you know, she's going to be a dominant performer in the next Olympics in Rio. Uh, she's another one that I would put my money behind immediately. Ryan Stilberg, uh, co-founder and CEO of Brand Affinity Technologies, is joining us. So Michael Phelps says he's done. He has more Olympic medals than any athlete in Olympic history, 22. We know he's going to be doing some work with Visa. He's going to be on Hank Haney's uh, Golf Channel show where he tries to fix his golf game. What do you see for Michael Phelps in the future? Because he won't be in the pool anymore, and even when he was, really only around the Olympics did we see Michael Phelps. Yep. I think his appeal is going to slowly – It's going to. I don't think it's going to dip too much. And I think longer term, the legacy and the mystique of Michael Phelps will actually increase. I, you know, I, I put him into a rare – like Michael uh, – like um, 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 who was uh, Spinks – um, who won the six gold medals in the year past? Like there, I think there's there's people, there's certain people because of the the historic accomplishments that they have, uh, you know, realized through their sports. That despite being, let's say, at times socially awkward and not the best in front of the camera and stuff. I mean, I, if you actually look at him on camera post these Olympics from the past, he seems much more comfortable in front of a camera. I think he's going to thrive. I think that the magnitude of what he's accomplished over the years is going to continue to grow. And I think he'll have not just domestic appeal, but international appeal, particularly when, you know, he's getting bolstered and putting in the same name as you know, the, the best of all time. And, and can they ever, you know, reach his accomplishments? Hussein Bolt, you know, obviously what he, for his recent feats, I put him in that sort of that same caliber, you know, but completely different persona. But I think that Michael Phelps is going to have a very successful endorsement career for, for decades to come. Yeah, Bolt's an interesting guy because he's kind of got that Muhammad Ali type personality, very, uh, you know, bigger than life type of guy, very confident, great smile. And, and, you know, he's in a sexy sport, track and field, the fastest man in the world. There's a lot of things you could do with him. You know, reminds a little bit of Prefontaine style, right? The big personality, you know, back in the running. I think, you know, the, the bravado disposition can be very, very effective for certain types of brands. But it's also the one I think that has presents itself the most risk if he has a misstep, right? It's you know again you know you know don't want to you know sort of talk too much about sensitive issues, but with Chad Johnson, formerly Ocho Cinco or Johnson, then Ocho Cinco now back to Chad Johnson, similar situation. Bravado can be very effective for marketers, but when you have that, when you live on the edge and you're so vocal and you're so into the Twitter sphere and everything, I, it, those mis- when you have missteps on or off the field, when you have that kind of personality. That presents a risk. So, if Hussein Bolt can obviously can can, can keep his off the, you know the track you know you know life in situation intact and under control, I think that he's, it presents an incredible platform to him to have a worldwide presence for a truly powerful um, endorsement career. But again, that bravado is powerful. It's a lever that will help him grow that that, that economic economic base for himself. But it also creates the risk if there is a misstep. 
Just a few minutes left with Ryan Steelberg, co-founder and CEO of Brand Affinity Technologies. Uh, Ryan, if I want to work with Peyton Manning or one of the elite athletes in sports, how much can I expect to pay? There are there are there's a category of celebrity, and you named obviously Peyton Manning and a few others that I would say you know there there's a huge jump where you know if you want to you know if you want to engage the upper echelons of a Kobe Bryant or a, a LeBron James or a Peyton Manning, um, depending on what it is, there, there's like a key account cutoff it, it, because they have so much demand against them. Frankly, unless it's not worth their time to even look at anything, that doesn't have millions of dollars attached to it. Millions. And so for smaller companies, you know, if you're, if you, you know, if you're really looking at some of these bigger stars and you're like, how can I, you know, I have the perfect product. I know they'll love it. You know, you don't have 5 or $10 million to try to get them engaged. What you're seeing a lot happen now, particularly with digital media companies, is people are giving stock. They're actually getting these bigger stars involved in the companies earlier, you know, such as like Selena Gomez and a virtual postcard company called Postcards on the Run. They're, they're doing deals. They're letting, they're letting them come in and invest or they're doing like, you know, you know, structured deals where they're getting big chunks of equity of these smaller companies. And frankly, that's the only way they can get access to these people versus committing millions and millions of dollars. Well, so it's I interesting. There's a, there's, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a definite jump between the, between the upper echelon, but you can get deals done. You're going to have to get really creative on how that structure is going to do in either profit sharing, some equity interest. But again, if you just want to pull up the big checkbook, it's going to cost you potentially tens of millions of dollars. Well, one of the guys I think of is David Wright of the New York Mets, who took stock in vitamin water and did a campaign with them. Vitamin water got sold to Coke, and he made, I think, over $100 million, which is far more than he would have made if he just came on as a, a strict endorser. And, and trust me, everybody knows that. Every athlete knows the vitamin water story, right? So that's, that, you know, and that, that's where the bar has been set. And so you're seeing, again, it's, it's, it's venture capital, right? Just like, a, you know, the smartest money in, in Wall Street and the smartest money in Silicon Valley making investments into businesses, athletes have to think like that. That, that, that again, there's no guaranteed returns. If you're going to lend your brand to something, that's your currency. And so you need to have to make sure you have the right minds and the right managers around you to evaluate those just like investment opportunities because you can only invest you can only lend your brand to so many entities before obviously you you become at risk of hurting your brand or your brand starts to get diluted. So again, there's no difference. It's just currency. I have my professional my my brand equity currency and I also have my capital currency and you got to manage these investments accordingly. Last question for you. Tiger Woods lost a number of blue chip sponsors when he had his off the golf course missteps and dramas. Uh, how do you rate him now? Is he still an elite athlete endorser or is he someone that you can get for a little less money? He is definitely still elite. You know, I, he is still a definitive top 10, if not higher. And, because, you know, you got to look at the attribute of the sport. Golf is worldwide. You know, obviously, you know, what he done, you know, if there's without excuse, et cetera. But at the end of the day, there are different cultures worldwide, right? There are different perspectives of what happened. Um, and that's just a reality. So and the second thing is, is for us as fans, you know, we, there, there are the story of the comeback, right? We want, we, 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 we obviously appreciate performance on the field and on the course. And we also understand that everybody has missteps. It's kind of the American way. Get off the mat. You know, get, get yourself back up, repair your life, get your life in order, and get back in there. But there's one thing. 
you have to win, right? We don't, you know, coming up is a little short because he set the bar so high that, this, you, know, be, this, you know, because of those indiscretions and what's happened in his life, that frankly, I don't think he'll ever get back there or even, you know, let's, let's say within a 20% margin of that opportunity for endorsement potential. He can potentially get up there, but he has to win and he has to win consistently because that's where we expected when he had the unblemished record and he was this, you know, had the perfect persona off the course as it was his, his, his incredible play on the course is we had everything. Now, you, you know, if, you know, if we're willing to give you a chance, but anything besides an A-plus you know, execution, meaning winning majors and consistently, you know, anything less is not going to do. That's Ryan Steelberg. He's the co-founder and CEO of Brand Affinity Technologies. You can find them online at brandaffinity.net. Ryan, I appreciate you taking the time to join me. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. Just waking up in the morning in the B-Well. Quite honest with you, I ain't really sleep well. You ever feel like your train of thoughts been derailed? That's when you press on. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. All right, we're back. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Griggs, uh, how's everything been going? And what do you think of the London Olympics? You know, I really enjoyed the London Olympics this year. Um, it was kind of fun watching. I have an almost six-year-old boy, and we got into it as a family. And it was really cool watching him watch it. And uh, his big thing now, he loved the slow motion camera. So we, ah, we do everything at the house now in slow, slow motion, motion. <laughs> which is pretty fun. Also, uh, the underwater cameras. My daughter yes. actually liked the underwater cameras, being <laughs> able to see the divers and the yeah. swimmers underwater. So. Water polo was crazy underwater because yeah. le- their legs are just like these going crazy. It's pretty awesome. Most marketable athlete for you leaving the London Games? Um, I got to go to the U.S. soccer team. I think the girls, they blew me away. They're awesome. Wow. I just think, and what's her name? The uh, forward. Um, I can't remember her name. Alex Morgan. Yes, Alex. Yes. She's now, uh, I'm following her on Twitter. Yeah. Thanks to the London Olympics. So. Yeah, she's got a lot of followers on Twitter, yeah. too. So I, I watched the soccer team, and I was really into them, and they, I thought they were always fun to watch, and you know, there's some good-looking ladies there, too. So Yeah, and it will be interesting to see what happens to Michael Phelps in the future. Does he return to the pool? Does he really stay away? Is there a career for him in broadcasting? Uh, what kind of endorsements does he get? Same with uh, Usain Bolt, who says he does want to run again 
in 2016. Thanks to David Benoit of footballmarkets.com. Thanks to Jason Cole from Yahoo Sports. Does a great job covering the NFL. Thanks to John Auren from the Sports Business Journal. Covers sports media for them. Thank you to Sam Amick from sportsillustrated.com. Does a great job covering the NBA. And thank you to Ryan Steelberg, CEO of Brand Affinity Technologies. Just want to remind you, you can always download our podcast. Just type in Sports Business Radio when you visit iTunes. Or you can pull our podcast off of our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com.